welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we welcome Jane White to the podcast. If you don't know why we say Jane that way, call Jane11. You'll figure it out real fast. Jane is the president at Fine Light, where she's been there for 27 years. She's debatably employee number four or five. We can't quite remember, but what we know is she's seen the journey of Fine Light. Today, as a proud leader, sustainability is one of the things that Jane focuses on with a lot of her time and attention, leading not only the company, but this entire industry in the right direction. Jane was recently a part of a documentary we produced on sustainability and how it's on the rise in the lighting industry. We welcome her to the podcast to talk today about what it means to be a manufacturer in this time and place, to be focused on sustainability, to not only advocate for it, but push it forward and ask the community for what they need. Jane, welcome back to the podcast. How's it going? Excited to be here, Sam. It's going great. Awesome. This is your second time on the Light Pod. Congratulations. Thank you. And we got you exclusively this time. We did a conversation at the Arclight Summit back in September. They talked about sustainability and the panel that was a part of that is now part of this documentary we've put together. And there's one-on-one podcast to dive deeper into each aspect of this. Because the reality is sustainability isn't a checkbox. Sustainability isn't just a thing or a movement. It's a way of life. It's just choosing to make different decisions along the process that exists today for what I'll just say are the right reasons. We have an opportunity to save our planet. We have an opportunity to reduce carbon emissions in our atmosphere. And the built environment is the biggest thing out there besides the natural environment. And there's a lot of responsibility in our industry to consider how we do this. Today, I want to dive into a multitude of topics. But before we do that, do me a favor. Tell everybody, who's Jane White and how did you get your start in lighting? So I started in lighting um, in the late 80s. I joined Peerless Lighting. I answered a newspaper ad and interviewed with Terry Clark, who was actually the future founder of Fine Light. So this thing I was going to do for a couple of years and move on to whatever my destiny was became my destiny. And and so uh, when I joined Fine Light in 1995, it was just fresh snow with no footprints on it. What Terry gave us permission to do was create the best kind of company we could that took care of our people, took care of our customers, and took care of the industry at large. And when you walked in the door and there was that fresh blanket of snow, what did it feel like? Terrifying. Trying to come up with all of the new processes and thinking, I'm, I can't do this. This is impossible. You know, what have I done? And then you sit and you think, okay, what have you always wanted to do? What are the problems you couldn't solve that you now have permission to create a pathway for that resolution? And so it was ripping everything up. The knowledge, how does a project work? What do customers need? What do our sales reps need? I mean, we consider our sales agents our customers. We want to take care of them and make it easier for them to achieve their goals. So when you sit down and you look at the problems and then you say, okay, I can solve this any way I want, what's the best way? And that was very empowering. Empowering and terrifying at the same time. As any good thing is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why daredevils are crazy and then yeah. they like complete their tasks. I might call you a daredevil in lighting. I'm not sure. We'll have to get to the end of this conversation before we make that claim. But I know that you've had a long journey. You've been able to not only shape fine light, but see so much of this industry grow over what's been almost four decades in this business. 
you've seen transformational leadership, you've seen transformational technology, you've seen the rise of an entire industry of lighting designers come to play where there was probably once a hundred that people knew about, there's thousands. But there's one thing that's become increasingly important, which is the stuff. The stuff we're putting in our buildings, the stuff we're making these buildings out of, the stuff where it comes from and where it goes, how it's used, what it uses, and it's all built around sustainability. Before we dive into this extremely broad topic, there's the environmental side of things, and then there's the wellness side of sustainability. I mean, like we can have things that are like completely recycled, that don't use energy, blah, 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 so on and so forth, but if the space is uncomfortable, who cares? So you really have to marry these two things together. As a manufacturer, I think you have the tallest task of all of them, right? You've not only got to create a quality lighting solution that people want to live and breathe and eat and sleep. They probably don't want to sleep underneath it, but they want to breathe underneath it and, and interact underneath it. But you also have to hold yourself accountable for what you're building that out of and how Absolutely. you're doing it and how you're getting it from point A to point B. And then most importantly, the thing that nobody really talks about is what are you doing with this when you're not using it anymore? Because it's still a perfectly good and viable product, especially in today's world. Oh, yeah. LED <laughs> fixtures have a useful life of 20 to 30 years. And nobody besides, I would probably say like K through 12 education is building the building, not touching it for 20 to 30 years at this point in time. The access to information, the trends, everything else is just pushing the architectural indoor environment faster than it's ever moved before. Where do we start? It's a loaded question, I guess. To me, it's all about looking at the people who make the things. You need support in order to do this. Talk to me a little bit more about that. So I think there's support needed early in the process and later in the process. And by that, I mean, we need the other makers, the people who make things for us to understand and take this seriously. Um, that was one of the hardest parts of getting all of the information for the transparency effort that we put together is the people we buy things from were either hesitant or weren't focused on getting us the information we needed to be able to make decisions and understand what's going in our products. So. Making that a priority, whether it is somebody who's making paint for the fixtures or making components for the fixtures or even making fasteners for the fixtures, being thoughtful about where you make it, how you make it, and what it is made of. And we are starting to have those conversations with our vendors. We've always done that when it's been just a fine light initiative, such as 10 working days. You know, all of our products ship 10 days after they are, they're ordered. And we had to convince all of our vendors to say, hey, we got this great idea. Are you in? And this is what we need from you in order to do that. And after they, you know, stopped telling us we were crazy, they leaned in. Well, we need a bigger leaning in because this isn't just about fine light. This is about all of these people who make the components supporting the entire industry with transparent materials. You know, sometimes it's a matter of legal. You know, they don't want to reveal their formula and, and that's a challenge there. And, and, and I, I think they need to be more open about that stuff. But and then it's also just being more conscious about where the material is coming from. You mentioned it's going back to these vendors and suppliers mm -hmm. that are supplying this entire industry. Yep. I don't know how much people know about how a light fixture is manufactured. I was a rep for 10 years and I remember the first factory trip I went into and I was shocked that everything was just sitting on a shelf being ready to be assembled. 
a lot of what goes into a light fixture isn't directly made by the manufacturer. Some stuff is, some stuff isn't. That's definitely changed as LED technology has come online. But if you can share just a little bit more about these vendors and suppliers that do support our industry, it's not like there's hundreds of of thousands of them. There's a a core group that really supports this industry. Yeah, I, I think there's still two levels of those kinds of materials. Most manufacturers, we have strategic vendors who are partners, who see our business, who have the first option to provide us with material until they say they're full, um, we give them that. So they really, they are aligned with us philosophically. They are aligned with us in terms of prioritization of the types of things we're trying to do. And then there are the other subset of vendors that, as you say, make drivers or boards or hanging hardware. And those are the ones that supply most of the industry. And again, I think it's a matter of focus for them, a matter of educating them that they will benefit from making these better choices on materials, that this is not something they can hide from. If you have a key component in there that's being made in an unhealthy way, um, then they need to correct that process. It's going to benefit them. It's going to give them an opportunity in this industry to come along this journey with you. The flip side of the coin are the people that are asking for this stuff, not the vendors who are supplying it to you. Yes. The owners and primarily the design community who acts on behalf of the owner. What sort of support do you need from those two entities in order to make your mission to be a sustainable manufacturer, something that is no longer a dream, but a realistic goal, expectation, and something that you can achieve? Well, I think we're looking for people to prioritize it when they're making choices about lighting fixtures. And we don't see it as limiting. And we we think most manufacturers could meet a base level of sustainable manufacturing, sustainable materials, sustainable approaches. So this isn't a competitive advantage where fine light's the only one who does it. We want to bring the rest of the industry along and we need designers to prioritize it. If you remember with the LED evolution, uh, you know, revolutions come and go. Evolutions stick around. And so that's why I refer to the LED as an evolution. You know, a lot of the designers were very hesitant in the beginning to go along with this change. It takes usually 10 to 15 years for a a change in paradigm in the lighting industry in terms of light source. But they were pressured by building owners and saying, hey, this is here now. I read about it in the Wall Street Journal. Why aren't you using LED on my light fixtures or my project? And that sort of forced a call to action where some manufacturers came up faster than others. I think we're in that same situation now that if we have owners saying, this is the commitment I'm making to the environment and my building and the people who live in it, and I'm counting on designers to support this vision, then that's going to encourage more than just one or two companies taking this as a priority. And when you have more than one or two companies taking this as a priority, it can spread faster. Absolutely. It can spread at a rate that may not be able to turn itself back around. It can become something that is so normal so fast. And we can talk about the LED evolution for a second to prove that. We can also look outside of our industry and prove that with a multitude of other things as well. Currently right now, if everybody just looks at the electric car market, it's become very obvious that it's not a fad and there isn't one tech company building an electric car anymore. There's several companies who are committed to having their entire fleet be electric and it's not a marketing pitch. 
exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like they're doing it. They're working on it. They're making it happen. Why? Because they know, one, the longevity of their company will not be there if they Mm -hmm. rely on a finite source, which is fossil fuels. And two, it's not a good idea. We know what fossil fuels and emissions are doing to our planet right now. Not that I'm trying to make a comparison here between the electric car industry and the lighting industry, although they are all now going to use electricity as their primary source, which is kind of cool. We can create renewable sources that create that electricity, which is super important. The energy barrier has largely been tackled in our industry in terms of creating an energy efficient light source. There's a theoretical limit of an LED. I think it's something like 600 some lumens a watt. Of course, that's not a usable color. And what people may or may not be tuned into is like, we're already basically to 200. Now you don't see that delivered out of a light fixture for a lot of reasons, because we're not running things at maximum output and other things like that. And we've got lenses and diffusion material to make sure that this light is comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to get to that theoretical limit of energy efficiency for LED technology here rather quickly, at which point we have what could be a stagnant place in our industry as it relates to the lack of innovation. Now we have integrated lighting that's become a huge part of everything, putting sensors using lights to do more than just light a space, report data, track things, people, places, spaces. But we have this opportunity now to like to completely reinvent how we make things in a sustainable way from how your factory operates to what the heck you're putting in your light fixture. Talk to me a little bit more about what it means to get all this together. This isn't something like you click, click your shoes, you know, in Dorothy, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Like this is an arduous process. This takes a commitment on your end, on everybody else's end that is going to say, I'm going to go on this journey together to look at every single aspect of it. How many aspects are there that you need to look at? Yeah, I think it's, again, the fixture itself has to stand for itself as a sustainable element. It's got to be energy efficient. It's got to have a long life. It's got to have replaceable components. It's got to be Rojas, you know, compliant. There's just some basic things that need to be built into the fixture. And for the most part, I think the industry is there, or at least there are a ton of choices along those lines. It wasn't all the always the case. LEDs in their initial form faded off into darkness after about nine months. And it took a lot of engineering and time and focus to figure out how to really manifest the potential long life of LEDs. So that was a lot of work on a lot of people's part. But then it goes into what you put into your fixture. And that's where the environmental product declaration and these various programs to understand the actual impact the product has. And we, we're starting the journey with those right now. We're working with PNNL on a program, and we're working with the Greenlight Alliance, who are both trying to take leadership positions in creating a pathway for all manufacturers in the U.S. to um, have an EPD or be able to create an EPD for that's meaningful for their product line. Europe is farther ahead. In, in the U.S., there really isn't that easy button <laughs> yet. Um, but if we can come up with a pathway that can apply to um, our industry and the way we're making things here, then I think we can get more manufacturers to invest. And we kind of see the EPD also as a journey that you do your, your you do the research and, and it is what it is in terms of the product details and what the product impact is going to be. And that's your starting point for making it better. That you're going to you're going to see where the weaknesses are. You're going to see where the value of investment to make that declaration even more 
important and impactful in a positive way. And so it, this is, to me, that's not the end of the journey. That's also the beginning of, of, of making a, be- a product better every time you think about it or you have an engineer design something that addresses one of the weaknesses in the EPD. You mentioned the easy button. Oh, I love the easy button. Who doesn't? <laughs> the United States of America is just like the king of the easy button. We mm. have, a, you know, we got a free world over here. Anybody can start a company. We can start things overnight. We can change things. We can make stuff happen. The ability to innovate, uh, the resources are there. The money's there. At the same time, the lighting industry, as you and I were chatting before we, we rolled on this podcast, is you said heavily relationship-based. And then I said, no, it's like exclusively relationship-based. <laughs> There's not a lot that doesn't get by the sniff test of trust in this industry. Absolutely. This industry is very small, yet we control a lot of people's experiences. What do you do when you walk into a dark room? Turn on the lights. You turn on the lights. Yeah. And our industry is responsible for all that. Whether we touch it, whether it's used the right way, whether people feel good in that space, is it up to us, right? It's up to us when I say you and me, Jane sitting here. It's up to the industry to collectively say, well, how do we each use the collective genius of each part of the manufacturing, the procurement, the design, the installation process to then give that end user a good space. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's dive in a little bit more into how that transition can happen in this industry, how it has to be done together, how it has to be financed somehow, and how it has to be spoken for once and for all. And we can agree to do it. Sound good? Sounds great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you things like this podcast and short, fun, informative videos to not only learn, but celebrate about lighting. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Jane and I were catching up just a little bit more about the fact that sustainability, it's a movement. It's an opportunity. It's a way for the industry to not only push itself forward, but it's also challenging. There are lots of challenges to take a legacy company, a legacy industry, a legacy business, and turn it into a forward-thinking, future opportunistic organization, regardless of what you're looking at. There's certain things are done a certain way, and it works. Why change it? Well, there's a reason now. There's a sustainable reason. There's a reason that's bigger than us, bigger than our industry, bigger than really anything else because humans are what will survive us. Buildings, yes, they may, but they'll get torn down. But humanity will always prevail and continue forward. When you look at the need to make these changes, Jane, how do you approach all of that at the manufacturing level? Historically, Fine Light has always looked at the big problems in the industry, whether that problem was lead time, whether that problem was energy efficiency, or creating a long-lasting LED fixture. We've always taken that large approach to trying to solve that problem. And, And we see sustainability as the same kind of effort, you know, creating a platform for all our products, not just having, hey, here's your sustainable choice, but here all of our products meet this basic criterion for sustainability. And that keeps moving forward. It's not what was sustainable in 2022. We've got to up the game in 2023 and 2024. So where, you know, the capital and the investment comes in is 
it's it is time and money, but the money isn't in the components so much. I mean, there are ways that you can once you identify the strategy, you can make the decisions around affordable choices, whether components or or ways to make things. The investment comes in the time of the team to locate, investigate, validate all of these options so that you can move forward. And so when you take a resource like Aaron Smith, who's our VP of R&D and Technology, this is his life right now. I'm taking our most valuable resource and saying, go figure this out, come back to us. And and that's a huge investment. And maybe there's a cost there because he's not focusing on the next hot product. He's focusing on design for disassembly and the ways that we can make our product more appropriate for recycling and reuse at the end of life. And so that's that's probably the biggest investment. You know, whether we have a PCB-free feed or not, that is negligible. That's, you know, pennies a foot. The big investment is taking your most valuable resource and saying, I need you to work on this and come back to us with ideas. You talk about resources coming up with the new ideas, and you're largely pointing to existing products, not new products. Everybody loves a shiny new car. Mm -hmm. New clothes, new car, new watch. It's easy. It's fun. It's flashy. It's easy to sell. This message, this mission, this desire to take what you're doing and just literally retool it or redesign it so that it has a a sustainable approach isn't flashy in the sense of what you look at. So how do we as an industry turn around and devote time back to the sustainable movement? And while it not be the cool, fun, flashy thing, let it be. I don't think you can ignore new product development, but new product development is actually easier to build sustainable metrics into it from the beginning. The hard part is going back and looking at your existing portfolio and improving it. And and a lot of people just ignore that. They just say, okay, we're starting here. And so everything going forward is gonna be sustainable. We know the lead time in the lighting industry from the moment you introduce a product to when it is more commonly used could be two to three years. So I'm, I'm introducing my brand new sustainable product today. In 2025, it's, it's going to be an, in a building. So what about the things being ordered right now, going into buildings right now? Uh, there's ways that we can make our existing products, and that is going to have a bigger impact faster. We've got to look back. We mentioned before the break, it's important to have the support of the community, the designers. Melissa Mattis, who's a part of our sustainability group in these conversations, discussed yesterday uh, when we recorded a podcast with her. They're just going to point blank say, well, these are the requirements for our top two, three, four, or five fixtures on a project, depending on how big it is. There's some motivation right there to get yourself in gear and take your existing products and convert them and spend some time, money, and resources on that. The short-term, I'll just call it loss in terms of spending capital is going to come back to you in droves as this becomes the industry norm. And by the way, it doesn't take a lighting designer five years to change their specs. That's true. They can do it in a day, frankly, an hour, maybe even a click or a minute at this point. So it's important that the manufacturing side of our industry not only listens and listens some more and maybe asks a few more questions, but then responds and takes this seriously because the power of specification is far greater than what's sitting in on your theoretical shelf to be built. 
Like it's just sitting there waiting for an opportunity to come out there and you need somebody to pull that along. And what people want to pull along are things that people are going to be genuinely interested in that are going to create a positive impact in their space, in their built environment as an owner, as an owner operator, as an owner's rep, as an architect who has the best interest of the owner. You talked a little bit earlier about what it means to get your vendors on board. You talked a little bit about, you know, how the community can support us and now there's this opportunity to investigate your existing product and your new product in an R&D. The challenges that lay ahead, as uh, people say, there's a long way to go. Talk to me a little bit about the challenges you're facing right now and how you're using your 27-year history at Finelight to look at that bigger picture and overcome them. You're doing them, but you're doing them just one at a time in an order that makes sense. Absolutely. We got, you have to prioritize. If you spread it too thin, then you're absolutely not going to make the progress you need. So I think right now our biggest challenge is identifying what are the top two or three things that we can do that are going to make the, the biggest difference soonest. Uh, one of the things we, we're, we're trying to manifest is better packaging. Packaging is very wasteful, especially if it's single-use plastics and we're, we're working to ban those. Cardboard, yeah, it keeps the product safe, you know, but it is a lot of work to recycle all of that stuff and is the contractor going to do it? So coming up with things like biodegradable packaging, it was easy, comparatively, to develop that packaging. The hard part is to kind of convince people to use it because it looks a little bit different. It's a cradle. It's a uh, it's kind of a, a molded pulp cradle that we can put our fixture in. And it's it's completely biodegradable at the end of the life of the fixture. But people feel better about boxes because they want their fixture to get there safe. So we've got to do some selling and, and convincing people, hey, just try this out. And if selling doesn't work, then we're just going to have to make a choice and say, this is the only way we will ship our product. You have to pay us. If you want cardboard, here's an adder. And that generally gets people attention. Hey, welcome to 2022. Your sustainable products, your sustainable practices, we've got you covered. You want the traditional route? Pay us. Mm -hmm. That's pushing supply and demand in the right direction. Yep. And you can take that extra money that people may say is bullshit. But you'll do the right thing with it. Like you'll Absolutely. invest. Yeah. The point is, fine light's not just going to pocket more money because people are doing. Like mm -hmm. you're going to take that extra money. You're using it as leverage. Say we'll support you, and you're going to support us. You're going to pay us extra, so we have more money on R and D to make more sustainable decisions. <laughs> like yeah. money is a great motivator. There's no other way to say it. Speaking of money, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you feel like exist? today when it comes to quote-unquote sustainable manufacturing in the architectural lighting industry? Well, I think the biggest is just what you said, that it's sustainable manufacturing is more expensive. It's just not true. In fact, if you invest the time to, say, just reduce the weight of your fixture, you know, by some percentage point, you're saving money and material there. You've got to invest the time. It's the research. It's the focus. It's the vetting of vendors. That is what's cost driven because you're putting an expensive resource to do that work. But the actual end result isn't much more expensive. In fact, it could be cheaper. It could literally be cheaper. Yeah. Would it look any different? Would anyone know? I don't think so. I think if you, I mean, again, that's where the R&D comes in. The vision of taking recycled plastics and making a diffuser out of them. I do not know at this point in time, if we use that approach, whether that's going to have the same 
characteristics and performance as a traditional version acrylic diffuser. But I want to find out. And are there things what we can do? I mean, you've got to push the envelope. If it's not possible now, you just have to find the people who are willing to go on the same journey with you from a, an experimental standpoint. A vendor is like, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, let's see what we can do. You might fail there and have to go somewhere else. But that trial and error is how you build the knowledge you need to be able to make it a better luminaire. And making a better luminaire can be judged by many things. But in this case, it's choosing to do the right thing. The challenge is when it comes to making that change, it sounds to me like aren't really challenges, they're just decisions that somebody has to be willing to make. The challenge is being willing to make that decision, whether it's what you're specifying, whether it's what you're manufacturing, whether it's who you're using. What's it like to have to uncover all of this as a manufacturer and start to get answers you don't want? Well, we've gotten those. I mean, that I've had that for 27 years. People have said, what we, we want to do is not possible. Mm-hmm. And that would be the end of that conversation. And we'd keep going until we found the person who thought it was going to be possible. You're our guy. Let's let's go forward with this. So that's nothing new for Fine Light. It may be new for other manufacturers, but for us, we've always had to sell people on our ideas. And and it's just it's just in our DNA to do that. For me, it is that prioritization. You know, it's making sure everybody's moving in the same direction that whether it is a junior designer starting on a product or an inside salesperson trying to make recommendations, that they all understand the umbrella concept of what we're trying to achieve. And so everybody in the company needs to be on that same page as well. That's really our responsibility as an executive team to make sure that happens. It's total buy-in. Yes. Right. It's total buy-in at the company level. And next is total buy-in at the industry level. What can this industry do to start to clear these hurdles together? I think it's undoubtedly one company can't do it. And and finally, it's part of a bigger concern. We're part of Legrand. And as a European-owned company, they're more passionate about it than even we are because they're further down the road. They have things written into their corporate social responsibility metrics about what they're expecting us to do that are kind of even stretch goals from my perspective, but they are taking it dead seriously. And so all of the large companies, whether it is you know a, a conglomerate or an independent, needs to equally come up with a strategy and then We have to bring everybody along. Lighting, even if I got everybody in lighting on board to do this thing, we need the owners, we need the general contractors, the electrical contractors, and the and the agents as well to be on board with this process and this goal and to support it as a team. And when everybody supports it as a team, it's the phrase that I think has been used in the first two, your, our third podcast here mm-hmm. um, around the sustainable conversation, a rising tide lifts all ships. Absolutely. I add to it boats, dinghies, paddle boards, canoes, and everything else. Mm-hmm. If you're in the ocean, nobody wants to tread water. You're in some form form of a flotation device. Whether you're in the biggest one, the most comfortable one, the smallest one, the least comfortable one, you're still in something. You're still on this ride. You're still in this ocean with us. So why not choose to help it versus hurt it? Or just sit around and ask somebody else to do all the work for you. It's going to benefit us all as an industry, as people, as humans, as the generations that are beyond us. Jane, this has been an incredible conversation and I just wanna thank you for being so transparent, for being so honest and for being so thoughtful behind what you've shared with us today. Finally, your tagline is better lighting. What are you guys doing today 
specifically that you can share with us that can inspire others to say, I can do this, we can do this. The change in commitment isn't that hard. Other than engaging the entire team in the mission, we are approaching it multi-pronged. We're looking at the materials themselves. You know, what can we, we use miles of gasket, you know, that will probably still be on earth, unfortunately, long after we are gone. And can we still have a good gasket that does all the things you need it to do in a light fixture, but made out of organic material? So we're frankly kind of looking at other kinds of materials for housings. I don't know whether they'll pan out, but this is what we're doing right now is massive research, both in the appropriate documentation and the appropriate um, you know, types of materials that we can use on the product itself. And then the other things we're gonna be looking at is you know, how can we have relationships with vendors Again, evaluating our vendors and coming up with a checklist of how we expect them to behave, not only from the materials they're providing to us and what those are made of, but how they're treating their employees and whether they're they're meeting a, a standard of responsibility toward sustainable living. There's lots of ways to get cheap parts, but usually uh, they're not made of really healthy materials and their employees are not necessarily treated in the best way either. So you have to have that evaluation. And, and again, I think we should all be doing this. You know, responsible sourcing is, I think, a, a industry commitment that we need to fulfill, especially coming out of COVID. We want to make sure that we're choosing the partners that share our values in that way. The values, the partnerships, the products, the desire to make it all sustainable is achievable. It absolutely is. You're doing it. You're not going to sugarcoat it. You've got to go to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy tell you, find your guy. And if you don't get on board now, that's okay. You'll get another chance, but it may not be with the first people, may not be with the second people, may not be with the third people, but the momentum is there. We've talked a lot this week about sustainability is on the rise in the lighting industry. John Pendorf, who's a head of sustainability for Perkins and Will, a large architecture firm that has a global presence, shared with us, sustainability isn't really necessarily on the rise. Like it's been rising for a long time, but in the lighting industry, um, we're kind of getting into that right now. As you look across the entire construction industry, what do you think is the best place for us as an industry to be, to find that inspiration and to continue to see success somewhere else that we can point to and say, let's go be with them? Inspiration is such an elusive concept. I don't, you know, I don't know how to inspire. I can inspire my team yeah. in a call to action. I don't know how to inspire an, an actual industry, but I think rather than inspire, I, I think the idea of removing the barriers, convincing people that small steps matter, and big things do too. You know, we've talked before about the idea of, of how we could recycle luminaires from in, in commercial interiors into schools. I have no idea how to make that happen, but I, I still think it's, a, it's a, a great destination. But there's 20 things that we could do today with what's available and it just understanding this is a journey 
It, it, there is no destination. Once you've achieved a certain level of improvement, you've got to look for the next. And that's why it has to be a constant roadmap of ideas that are going to improve the way you make it and what you put into it and, and what you do at the end. There's a lot of problems to solve here. I look forward to talking to you this time next year, this time 10 years from now, and seeing where we are on that journey. If people want to talk to you now, if they've got questions, answers, ideas, or they just want to thank you, like I'm about to say, thank you. What's the best way they can get in touch with Jane White? So my email is jane.white at finelight.com. Email Jane. Talk to her. Let her know what you thought of this podcast. Share your ideas with her. This is just your gentle reminder this week that sustainability matters, that it's on the rise in this industry. And if you're not thinking about it, start. I appreciate it. Jane appreciates it. And there's a lot of people that probably haven't even been born into this world that appreciate it as well. Jane, hang in there. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Sam. See you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.